0: Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Good morning, everyone. Again. (laughs) Um, If you're able, please rise for the reading of Scripture this morning. So Scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. May God bless the reading of this word. You may be seated. So we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and. what Paul
1: says about uh, being involved in the church and life as a Christian, and we've looked uh, recently at marriage for a while, and then at parenting and children, and then at work, and for Father's Day, the devil and spiritual warfare, which may be really appropriate. But um, it seems like an abrupt change in the book, but if you actually uh, step back and look At the entire book of Ephesians, it's really a perfect description uh, and narration of the Christian life. And and one of the most illustrious ways to think about it that somebody shared with me, uh, if you will, is just the character of Harry Potter. If you've ever read those books, here it is in a nutshell. Harry is this uh, boy who doesn't know who he is, doesn't know much about him, all of a sudden is given a family. Uh, is told he has a significant family and a significant identity. And then he gets all these blessings and all these privileges that come with it that are significant for him, and then he's thrown into a battle. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, Paul says that is, that, that's the Christian life. Is that when you come to God, and when, when you are brought into the light of the kingdom, you are given this brand new family, the church. You're given this new people to be a part of. And come with it are all of these privileges, all of these blessings, all of these new things that are true and real in your life, and then immediately you're thrown into a battle. And what we're going to do is look at this battle, the nature of it, over the next two weeks and conclude this study in Ephesians. And today, I just want to look at the dynamic of the battle. And so let's understand three things with this of spiritual warfare in the battle. One, who we fight. Two, what we fight. And three, how we fight it. First, uh, who we fight. Look what he says in verse 12. Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and darkness uh, of this, uh, against um, the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, what he says here is our struggle, who, who we fight, it's, it's not flesh and blood but it's the principalities of this world. Now, what he means is that it's not as though that the church or as a Christian, you never come in contact or you never rub up against uh, flesh and blood, as if there's not evil things in this world that do evil to you. But what he's saying is that there is an evil behind that evil, that there is uh, uh, an evil that is influencing And has a powerful control over the things that do evil and where we rub up against evil in this world. And if you don't understand that there's an evil greater than your human experience, then you will never be able to make sense of the gravity, the inescapability, and the appeal of darkness in this world. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his uh, great work of the Screwtape Letters, says in the introduction, he says that when you get into the idea of understanding that the struggle of the Christian life is not against flesh and blood but really is against dark influences in this world there's two mistakes you can make on the one hand you can begin to understand what Paul says here and believe that and begin to think everything in your life is satanic influence and everything around you has the influence of the devil and then you'll be what you'll what you'll be doing is then uh, just diminishing actually the influence of sin and your own responsibility and some things that are actually incredibly important for you to take responsibility for. He says, but the other mistake that you can make is not to blame everything on the devil, but to blame nothing on it, which is really where we are in our culture today. Because when we look at evil and darkness in the culture today, how do we make sense of it? Charles Taylor, the great philosopher, Suggests that what we've done in our culture is we've tried to build like almost a little dome over our world and Say that there is no divine there is no God influencing our world and everything that happens in our world can be explained in this little Dome and we can explain it through science and we can explain it through our own experience We can explain it through everything that we know to be true in this world, but the problem that you are experiencing, and I'm experiencing, and most everybody who's writing and thinking about this understands, is that every time we see one of these mass shootings, every time we experience something that we can't even explain done to a child, or done to another race of people, the gulf between what we can explain and what we are seeing is growing more, and more, and more, and more. And it's leaving us massively confused. Um, Terrence Malick the great film director who's actually a believer uh, did this great movie in the late 90s on World War II called A Thin Red Line and in it he has a a, a private who has a monologue that says this this great evil where's it come from? How did it steal into the world? What seed? What root did it grow from? Who's doing this? Who's killing us, robbing us of life and light, mocking us with the sight of what we might have known? Does our ruin benefit the earth? Does it help the grass to grow, the sun to shine? Is this darkness in you too? Have you passed through the night? Now let me ask you this. Does your life have an answer to any of those questions? Or are you going to continue to go through life and look at the news and try to explain it through a lack of education, a lack of socialization, a lack of the right kind of government set up for certain types of people. Because if you continue to go through life that way, you actually set up the worst world possible. There's a biography on FDR that says when he was president, um, Christianity was just foolishness to him. He, just, he especially thought the teaching of sin and darkness in the world was, uh, was utterly foolish and mystic, and, and just outdated in life. And FDR, which you can sort of see in his presidential uh, administration, everything he thought could be solved through programs. If we just develop more and more social programs, develop more opportunities for people, progress will be made, we'll move through all of these things that, will, that are just keeping humanity back. But one of the things that happened, that says in the biography, is that when uh, World War II was happening, and the early reports of the holocaust was happening in nazi germany the united states thought it was a rumor and did nothing about it at first partly because of the belief that that kind of evil does not exist in our world now later on fdr in his life when he was post- out of the presidency was living in new york state and he would visit a church from time to time there's a conversation that was shared where he finally went to a a minister and talked to them about, the he admitted what he understood and knew about the Christian teaching of sin and darkness and evil. He said this, in reading about original sin and supernatural evil, he'd come to see that whenever you get to the place where you reduce evil to biological, physiological, and sociological factors, and therefore you can fix it with new policies and better education, and economic prosperity, the results are deadly. Because there are aspects to evil that go beyond all of these things. They go beyond the natural world. Now, do you have an explanation for this? Because what Paul is teaching us here is that the background of our world, why all of this evil continues to happen at such a degree, no matter the growth in technology and the more education that we have, Continues to just overwhelm us is because at the beginning there were some angels that looked at God and said no. And God kicked them out of his presence never giving them power and authority over anything that he had but they did have power and influence to be able to take down any of the people who are in his image along the way. And that's why things are the way that they are. Now, why does that matter to you? Here's why it really matters to you and me. Because Paul has been writing this letter to Ephesians, and he talks about marriage, and he talks about parenting and children, and he talks about work. And from one angle, it can seem like a really 90-degree turn to all of a sudden talking about spiritual warfare. Or, here's what it means. That the arenas where you fight spiritual warfare the most in your life are not like out there in random, weird parts of the desert, but in the most practical parts of your daily life. That if you if you don't understand that your marriage is battling spiritual dark forces in this world, you'll never understand how you can hate somebody you took vows in front of to love the rest of your life. Or if you don't understand that there really is a darkness behind your relationship with your children. You'll never make sense of the idea of holding an infant and one day never wanting to know them. You've got to begin to believe that who you fight in this world, more than anything, is not that political party over there, it's not that education system over there, it's not this state, and if possibly in that state, it is the principality and darkness in this world. And that's who you fight. Secondly, when we engaged in that fight, what do we fight? Well, like in any battle, in any war, when you get into battle, the first thing you have to do is do reconnaissance, is learn about the enemy, learn how their tactics work and what they are. And we're told here right by Paul in verse 11 what the tactics of the evil one are. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It says, As that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. The word for schemes is the word methodia. It means strategies. It means tactics. And that begs the question, what are the tactics and strategies of the devil? Well, the devil, when his, his word, his name is used in the Bible, there are two words. And the word here used is the word diablo, which means to lie, and it means to slander. It tells us the main way that the devil works The main tactic that he has is to lie to you. Now, the category that we have uh, in our culture through books and movies and things that we're uh, uniquely exposed to is to think that the devil would come and want to possess you, to take over your life. And there are definitely moments in the Gospels where we see Jesus work and deal with that. But the main way that the New Testament writers want to talk about the influence for the church that you and I have to face is that the devil will come to lie to you. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent comes to them, he doesn't come to possess them, he comes right in the middle of their marriage to lie to them, to come distort them from the truth, so that when Paul gets into the armor of God, and we'll get into this next week, the first thing that you're to put on, you know what it is, is the belt of truth. Now, the belt, well, I'll, get it, I'll talk about this again, was not like this tool belt. It was like a, the word is like a full body leather suit that all of the other weapons fit onto. And the reason it begins with truth is because the first thing that you'll be thrown at in this battle are lies. And what he will want to do is come and learn into your weakness to exploit it with a lie. I saw this uh, documentary on um, the NFL Network one time about Bill Belichick, who you know, has won uh, six Super Bowls. He's just the most successful NFL coach of all time. And they were interviewing um, this guy who played defense for him for a long time. And they were just asking, is he just you know, the most complicated, you know, difficult person to learn under, like, does, does he just have schemes that just take years to learn? And the guy goes, no. Actually, all of his schemes and everything that he does is incredibly simple. See, Belichick can teach you what his, his tactics are in like an afternoon, but what he does so well is he takes his simple schemes and he knows more than anybody what your weakness is. He knows the one little thing that you can't do well on offense and he will exploit it over and over and over and over again. And that's how he's so much successful. And that's exactly how the devil works on you. It's as if, it's as if this way. It's as if your heart, because of the, the, the influence of sin, is just like leaking. It's got gasoline in it. And every once in a while, it, just, it leaks out a little anger. It leaks out a little envy. It leaks out lust. It leaks out the desire for power. It leaks out the desire for influence, the desire to be liked. And there are moments where the the crack is a little bit wider open. and It is pouring out. Other times it's just barely leaking out. And what the devil will do is it says in verse 16 is throw flames of dart at you, flaming darts at you. He's just over and over just and that gasoline in your heart that is leaking out, if they ever break through, it will, it will explode with a lie. And those lies, they come in two categories, you know? They come in accusation and in temptation. Now, because of the categories that we've been thinking about are marriage, uh, parenting, and work. Let me, let me give you some categories to think about these. About temptation and accusation of these flaming darts. Here's temptation look, any sexual indulgence apart from my marriage will not have any long-term repercussions. Here's another lie that you're told. My control over my kids, every action, that's just me being a good parent and caring about their future. Here's another one. My other co-workers are doing it. What's the big deal? Here's another one. Nobody knows how many sacrifices I make, how hard I work. I deserve this thing that I'm doing. Everyone else seems to be doing it. What's the big deal? Everyone else puts their kids through this, and it seems they're enjoying their life and visiting more success. So should we. Here's another temptation. I may be harsh on the kids, but I provide in about every sing- significant moment of their life. Now, every one of those temptations begins with so much plausibility, so many things that you can rationalize, so many things that you can tell yourself about, so that you can say, well, it's worth it. It makes sense to me. And when He draws you in that way, He's got you. How about accusation? Have you ever heard of any of these? We criticize our kids at an equal or greater degree than we compliment them. As when, when you feel guilt and shame, you'll be tempted to criticize people and throw out things that are wrong with them at three times the rate that you compliment them. The devil loves it when you do that to people, especially your children. You never stop reminding your spouse of the past sins they caused in this marriage. Or the job loss or the setback. You begin to think it's because you've not been a good Christian. That what's happening to me at work is because God is punishing me for this part of my life every year. Or here's another accusation. My kids struggling with unbelief and public sin means they are not a Christian and I have failed as a parent. Now all of those lies of, this, of the devil trying to tempt you and attack you, what he's trying to, sell, to hide from you He's trying to hide God's holiness and God's goodness and feed you with lies of temptation. And he's trying to hide God's love and God's accomplishment of your salvation and fill you with accusation. Have you heard any of those? Do do you hear those in a regular part of your life? If so, that's the devil playing you. He knows your weaknesses he knows your cracks in your little heart. He knows where the gas is, is dripping out. And he will not stop throwing arrows at you. That's his tactics, all with lies to come at you. That's who you fight. That's what you fight. But thirdly, how do you actually fight? It's, quickly, it's by standing firm. This is what he says in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. He says, y- you be strong and you be able to stand. The word strong is the word dynamo. It means to acquire strength. The, word for, uh, the phrase for be able to stand, it means to endure, means to be present, to be permanent, to set up a camp. And what he's doing is he's interchangeably talking about you doing something and something happening to you and being true of you. It begs sort of the exegetical question for a second here. Is this something that we do or God does for us? And the answer to that is yes. Here's how you fight the schemes of the devil. What Paul is essentially saying is that you have got to learn to appropriate your salvation See, it is very possible to be a Christian, to have been given salvation, and to never use it, to never get it out, to never dive down into it, because the way that you grow in Christian life, the way that you move forward is not by learning salvation and then moving on to more educated things. The way a Christian profoundly works through their Christian life and moves up in sanctification and grows into the image of Christ and fights the spiritual battle is by getting deeper and more profound and grabbing more a hold of what God has done immediately for you in Christ. And the reason so few of us are strong and able to stand is because we have not gone deep enough with our salvation. When Becky and I, uh, when I graduated seminary, the first job I had was doing college ministry at this uh, big university in Pennsylvania, uh, Penn State University. And and, um, we would do these tailgates uh, before big football games. And I mean, it was crazy. There would be 60,000 people just in these cow fields right outside their stadium. And what we would do is we'd have like uh, a couple parking spots and we'd have a grill and hamburgers and hot dogs and just you know handing them out to college students and hanging out with them beforehand. But the problem was, I mean, it's just a sea of people. And on that day, because it's a little college town, nobody's cell phone worked because there's just everybody packed in. So you, you would try to call somebody and no, no, no call would work. You'd send a text message out. It would never go through. And so it was just this, like, minor, just frustration that everybody would have would be like, well, I would come. I would love to be there, Alex, but we can't ever find you. And, um, and when I had I, I, I replaced somebody, and sent, so some students said, you know, what used to make this challenge easier was we had this big old flag and this big old pole that would stand 30 feet in the air, and it would have the, you know, the ministry on there, and we could just look at that and see it above everything else and just come to it. And I, I mean, countless students told me that, and I thought, well, that would be great, I'll have to look into that. And it would just be these accusations of like, well, if you had this flag, Alex, like we would be able to do that. And I just, they would just talked about this for years and I'd be like, well, I'm sorry. You know, I've got to get that. I've got to look into that. And about four years into being there, um, one day I'm like sweeping out the basement and uh, there's this like little sports equipment thing that I, I just have, I've never even opened it. I don't even know what it is. And I look at it and I'm like, you know what, I've got to get rid of this. This has just been sitting in the corner. And I open it and I'll be darned if it wasn't that flag and that huge 30-foot pole that people had been begging me for three years to get out. And here's what I discovered. The thing was just in the basement the whole time. Like I, I didn't need to go out and order a new one. I didn't have to go out and find something that I didn't already have. I just needed to go down there and open it up. And that's all you have to do today to be able to stand in this culture. Look, look, people today are so worried about kids growing up in this culture, just so worried about everything that they're gonna hear in school, stop. Look, you know what you're learning in this text? Whether you see it or not, The battle with darkness has always been here. And, you you know, the honest part about culture today is that you're actually more in tune with what God has seen in the world for thousands of years than people before you. Because beforehand, evil was happening everywhere. Everywhere. And people just didn't know about it because we didn't have the news and we didn't have the internet and we didn't have exposure to these kinds of things. But it was still happening. And what you've got to understand here is that Paul says, look, no matter the darkness, you can stand. And in fact, if you don't think you can, you have no confidence in God's armor because here's, here's how you stand. In order to stand... You've got to fight off the devil's lies. But, but, and I'll just give you a crash course here by doing two things. You've got to know your weakness and you've got to develop a confidence in God's armor. Look, if you do these things, you can stand in this culture. A, you have to know your weakness. mean, Paul says this in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of Faith. In every part of your life, you have to be ready to do this. Now, the British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones has like 10 volumes of sermons on uh, the book of Ephesians. And he's got two volumes devoted to this section of Scripture alone. It's, it's pretty extensive. In an entire book just on the schemes of the devil. And what he says in, in one of the beginnings of his sermons is, is he says, look, The devil knows you maybe better than you know yourself. He knows all of your circumstances. He knows how weak you are and what you're prone to. And the reality about about life today is that few of us know ourselves because we don't want to know ourselves. We would prefer to create a person who you think is impressive but is a lie. And what that does is it makes us both phony to the public and susceptible to the devil. Do you know yourself? Or does he know you better than you know yourself? Here's some questions you can ask yourself and know yourself. Do you know what you love and what you hate? Not what other people think you love and hate, but what do you love and hate? Do you know what you envy in life? Like the question of what do you want, when people says, what do you really want in life? If that's asked at a party, you're like, what do I say here that lets me be invited back, but also makes me think I'm interesting? No, what do you really envy in life? What are your expectations for happiness and contentment in life? How possible do you think that is and where do you think that comes from? What are your felt needs? What do you depend on when life feels very fragile? And what in life would make you feel loved and complete? Do you know yourself? Do do you know those cracks in your heart? that are prone to let gas leak out and lies of flaming darts be thrown at them. Because if you begin to know those, then you can begin to protect those and you begin to to, to appropriate salvation and speak to those and know how to apply the gospel to those. But if you deny yourself and you lie to yourself about where you really are weak, you will never be able to take out the armor of God and put it on there. But secondly, you have to develop a confidence in the armor of God. Look, all of these things that Paul's going to give us and we're going to look at them next week are meant to be confidence not in you and not in the degree of faith that you have and not the degree of belief that you have. It's a confidence in what God has done for you in Christ. Everything he gives us metaphorically here is something that has been given to you in the gospel. It is not something that depends on your passion and it depends on your rationale and understanding of something. That means if you're just a Christian, brand new, you can be just as strong as the person who has believed here for decades because it is the same gospel given to you to be able to grab a hold of and to stand in. And the confidence—I mean—are just here's—they here's are in a nutshell. Two overarching themes to fight the lies. The confidence gives you a, a confidence in God's goodness and, a, and a, that God is for you. It looks. Let me apply it this way. It looks like this. God's goodness. When something hard in life happens, what is leaking out of your heart is the idea that God is not good. And you, you, have, you know, have two options when something hard happens in life. You either can interpret God's goodness in light of your circumstances, which, which will put you on this volatile roller coaster that only gives you confidence in God when everything in your life is going fantastic, but when it's falling apart, wondering if He's abandoned you, if He's turned His back on you because of your unfaithfulness and your lack of Christian involvement. And that will put life like this, or what you can do is begin to interpret your circumstances in light of God's goodness. And when you do that, you are putting up a shield of faith and you are fighting off the lies of the enemy. Um, I have a friend uh, in ministry who sadly passed away from cancer a couple years ago. He was my age except he had four children that were under the age of nine and his wife was uh, 38 years old and a week before he died this is the email she sent out to us we're now in the place I feared most since the moment we heard the word cancer the doctors believed he has just a few weeks left and my mind and my heart can't quite believe this is really happening Tomorrow morning I will wake up and I will pray for the Lord to heal him. I will keep asking because it is what did I long for. It is what I believe Jesus taught me to do. I will keep hoping even as it seems completely impossible because I still know that God loves us and has all control that I do not. I will pray because even though I have so, so many unanswered prayers, so many disappointments, so many laments, my true hope is still, and I'm not really sure how, in a God who shares all of my tears and all of my sorrows, and still, even in this awful moment, I will ne- he will never forsake us. So I'll give him my heartache, I'll give him my pain, I'll give him my every cry that screams how wrong and messed up and cruel this whole thing is. And then she quoted Psalm 31. I am dying from grief. My years are, are shortened by sadness. Misery has drained my strength. I am wasting away within you. But I am trusting you. O Lord, saying, you are my God. Now, that's a woman who understands spiritual warfare. Because what she's, she's look, it's not lying to yourself. She's saying, this is unbearable, unbearable unrational pain. But she will not lie and take, she will not lie to herself, nor will she hear the lies. And she says, but my God is still good. And I will interpret everything that's happening in light of his goodness. Look, you stand. If you begin to fight With the armor, believing God is good, but also believing God is for you. Look, when when you fall, not just when life falls, but when you fall, and the accusations of how could you, or you really think you're a Christian, you really think God could still love you, that He's done enough for you, don't you dare, don't you dare sing this song, don't you dare pray this prayer. Look, if you hear those, and you immediately withdraw into self-loathing, whimpering, spiritually despondent, lonely, withdrawal, you have heard the lies of Satan. Look, Thomas Brooks, in his great work, one of the things that he begs Christians to do is to repent of the discouragement that you have with your sins. Look, when, if you, if, when you struggle, if you beat yourself up, that is not godliness. That is not from the Lord. That is not from the Holy Spirit. That is from Satan wanting you to beat yourself up And hopefully take time off and get yourself together before you come back. But, oh, friends, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Look, God did not give you a new heart for it to be torn into pieces by lies from the evil one. Everything has been done. Everything has been done for you to stand clean for him to say there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ. And every time that accusation comes, you have to hold up that promise. And if you hold up that promise, you can stand. Let me pray. Father, Lord, that we would have that confidence, not in ourselves, but in what you have done, in what you have given us in Christ. Everything has been done. Lord, it's just down in our basement. And we just need to go get it out. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to go get out the righteousness of Christ, to go get out the shield of faith. Lord, that we would put down our, our foolish works. Lord, all the things that we think that we need to bring to you, and we would just bring Jesus and Jesus alone. Help us. To be a people who has a confidence in that. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.
0: If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.